we were probably doing maybe around a quarter of a million dollars in business per year at that point. And business doubled that following year from just offering uh, women's watches. Welcome to Shopify Masters, the weekly podcast brought to you by Shopify, your companion for starting and building a business. I'm Shwang Esther Shan, and this week we are chatting with Randy Williams, president and founder of Tally and Twine, a direct-to-consumer watch brand. Randy shares with us the process of designing watches, finding the right manufacturers while managing a successful crowdfunding campaign, and we get to learn how digging into data allowed Tally and Twine to double its sales by catering to a new demographic. Before our show, I wanted to chat about Shopify shipping. Did you know that you can buy shipping labels for your orders at home, print them with a regular printer, get shipping insurance within the United States, and receive discounted shipping rates with certain carriers, all with Shopify shipping. There are no additional fees, carrier account, or apps required. This is included with your Shopify plan. So check out Shopify shipping today at shopify.com ship. Now onto our show. Tally and Twine watches are made with intention and meaning. From its minimalistic design of having only the number seven labeled on its watch faces to the brand's name, Randy Williams wanted to create a watch brand that would bring more representation to the industry. What started as a rough sketch and a phone call during a lunch break turned into a successful crowdfunding campaign, and then the business has expanded to be a direct-to-consumer challenger to the watch industry. I think the biggest light bulb moment for me was after college when I started collecting watches. Um, I had got up to a collection, maybe about 10 to 12 watches. And it was becoming harder and harder for my wife to find watches that I didn't already have or watches that didn't look like copycat watches, um, but were still quality. And the biggest thing I noticed was that there was no representation in the watch industry of people that looked like me. And what I mean is I would join these online groups by these magazines. and There was never anybody in any of the advertising that looked like me. And I didn't feel like any ads or marketing was directed towards people that looked like me. And I thought that represented a huge opportunity um, to go and address this huge segment of the market that I knew was collecting watches as well that was being ignored. Mm-hmm. And I feel like with your interest in watch collecting and also this need for representation, it fits into the market. How do you even begin designing watches or finding production partners to bring this idea to life? Well, yeah, I, growing up, I really enjoy sketching and drawing. And we have these sketchbooks full of stuff. I never took any formal classes, but before I even had the idea of starting my own company, I would start to sketch uh, different watch designs of things that I wanted to wear. And so I would just do this kind of in my free time, my downtime at work. And when I decided to start Italian Twine, I had fallen in love with this one particular sketch. And so I called my wife and I said, you know, what do you think about me starting a watch company? Um, and she said, yeah, sure, go for it. Uh, and I remember that day because I was on my lunch break at my, my previous job. And from then on, that's when I launched out into finding out how to actually get this made. And so um, I found uh, several manufacturers on Alibaba 
and began communicating with them, going back and forth, and eventually started ordering samples from them uh, based on my design. Let me go back a step, but I also hired somebody on Upwork. I think it's e it was Elance at the time. I hired a designer to do take my sketch and make a 3D model out of that. And from that 3D model, that's what I used to engage the manufacturers with to get the samples. And I think looking at how big companies are right now, it's very intimidating. People will think, oh my gosh, I, I can't possibly take on the watch industry, but it's inspiring to hear that it can start small with a design, with a sketch, with a phone call during your lunch break. And also tell us a little bit about the name and the significance, because that means a lot to you as well. And also I love the story behind it and what it represents. Yeah. Um, Tally and Twine is actually an intersection here in Virginia. And it's really important to me because when I moved here from Georgia, I'm originally from Georgia. I remember getting off the plane. I, took, I had a one-way AirTran ticket. And I remember opening my wallet and I actually physically had $1 in my pocket and no money in my, in my bank account. Virginia always represented a new beginning for me. And so when I started looking for names for the company, I wanted it to be something significant. And Tally and Twine is significant because it was where my wife and I purchased our first home uh, together. And it's an intersection that used to be a really, really bad uh, area, um, this neighborhood that was known for crime and violence. But now, because of a first time home buyers program, those same families now had the opportunity to become homeowners. And there was these beautiful, thriving families there. And I thought it represented that transition. And it, it really represents what many people know as the American dream is that you don't have to finish the way that you started. And there's always an opportunity for you. If you are focused on those opportunities and you're willing to take action, then, you know, great things can happen. And so hopefully the name Tally and Twine not only inspired me, but inspires the people that wear Tally and Twine as well. I love that intersections also signify crossroads and turning points and inflection points. So I love how the story all ties together. Yeah. You have a great brand, you have sketches that turn into models, and you now find a few manufacturers and producers. What did you do next in your path of launching the business? Well, relatively, getting the samples and getting everything made was kind of the easy part in retrospect, because now I had to figure out how to sell them. And so I didn't have any money, uh, very little saved up, uh, but... I used a crowdfunding uh, site, Kickstarter, and I just built a campaign on there. Um, I took a little time to kind of build up my audience on Instagram of people that I felt were like-minded and were into watches. And I bought a camera and kind of filmed the whole campaign myself. It's Most of the video is either me using a tripod or uh, my father-in-law uh, holding the holding the camera for me uh, to model the watch. And I did all the graphics and everything myself as well. So we launched a Kickstarter campaign and we met our funding goal. Our funding goal was um, 23,000, I think, and we did close to 25,000. Um, so we met our campaign. That's how we were able to get our first shipment. Mm -hmm. And what were the messaging within your campaign um, that you felt like spoke to those people who backed you in the campaign? I capitalized on one of the trends that was happening 
that I saw happening as a collector in the market. And that was having these NATO style bands. And I thought that they were a hot enough topic to kind of build around that. And so we built around the fact that our watches were on NATO bands and you can get all of these cool colors. And we gave people these options for bands and they were interchangeable. And we kind of used that to kind of springboard the marketing uh, behind it. And also, again, explaining the name, the significance of the name Italian Twine, explaining why we only have the number seven on our watches. That's another distinctive feature of our watches is the only number we have is the number seven because seven days in a week, seven represents completion. And it's supposed to inspire people to finish the things that they start. And so based on those factors, I think that positions us um, well enough to be able to get a successful campaign going. um, And it did. So now that you have people supporting your campaign, how did you go about ensuring production went well and the people who supported you get their first products? This was one of the toughest parts of the whole campaign and the whole launch period, because you got these people who trusted you to get the product made uh, and they pre-ordered the item. And now you have to deliver it. This was one of the things I hadn't really taken into consideration. Um, I thought I had built in enough space and time to be able to deliver it at the date that I said, but we wound up being several months late. Uh, It took so much longer than I anticipated because of, you know, Murphy's Law, anything that can happen will happen. And we got all these delays. But what I found is that if you continue to communicate with people and be accountable and just admit that, hey, look, this is what's happening. This is the stage that we're in. Uh, most of the people were very, very understanding. We had very few people to ask for refunds. And they were used to supporting crowd back projects. So I think we delivered about three months late. And then we were able to get those shipped out. And it was this huge weight lifted off of my shoulders. Um, and that's the first time when I felt like I like we were really in business at that point. Mm-hmm. And moving away from crowdfunding, now you have to generate new customers. What did you do next? Yeah, I felt like not having a very big marketing budget. My only option was to use social media to tell the brand story. And so that's what we did. We started utilizing some influencers who had helped us out during the uh, campaign. We now know them as micro influencers. But at the time, they were just people who I felt like had some reach to be able to uh, help us spread the word about Italian twine. And so we gave them some products and then we started to kind of emphasize or focus on creating content that I felt represented the brand. And so we did that on both Instagram and Facebook. And we eventually got into running Facebook ads and we started picking up traction as I learned more and more about how to do Facebook ads. That's how we really began to get the word out. Our most successful video was actually a video of me explaining what I just told to you in the first few minutes of how and why I started the company. And I realized that people really like hearing that brand origin story And that allows them to connect with the brand and encourage them enough to be able to come to our website and check out our products. What were some of the initial Facebook ads you put out? 
I understand the process is all about tweaking, enhancing, and understanding your performance. So how was that learning process like for you? It's still an ongoing process. You know, we have an agency now, but things change all the time. So this that's the main thing I had to realize. But the principles, the core of the type of messaging that you use remains the same. You want to make sure that you're still representing the brand the best possible light to the people that are most likely to buy. And so some of the techniques that I use was, like I told you, telling the brand story. Uh, Number two, constantly improving the quality of our content. I think that's really important. I go back and look at some of our early photos and I just shake my head and like, man, this was terrible. Uh, So as you're able to and as your resources expand, you know, try to make better content. And then I found it's just, the technique is the same as well. Like find out where your customers are hanging out at and engage with them there. And so some really grassroots stuff we did was go to some pages, Instagram or Facebook, that we felt a large number of our customers would be there. And we just engaged with that platform. We engaged with that platform, engaged with those people, uh, commented on their um, their pictures or their statuses and things of that nature to encourage them to, hey, take a look at us. And that's how we got the word out early. And after that, I think we started dialing in, dialing in on really who our customers were. So we were able to target those people uh, with our ads as well. Speaking of reaching out to different communities or engaging in different communities, did you specifically go into watch communities or did you go to more adjacent um, groups like fashion or design? Well, that's a good question. We went into the watch groups first, and it didn't work. Number one, because when you're talking to people who see a new watch company every day, it's not really that exciting that you're watch company number (laughs) (laughs) 1,000. Also, I learned that the watch community is kind of unaccepting of uh, companies that don't meet the norms. So I'll explain what I mean. So there's a lot of companies that are successful at in the watch industry and their watches look just like some of the most popular brands. <laughs> and it's almost like there's a group of people that want watches that continue to do the same thing, that look the same way. It had They have a frame of reference for it. And so people, I think, are more comfortable with that. And our watches look very different from most of the stuff that was out. And so what I did was I went to a subculture, which was the fashion community. And I realized that these fashion influencers, especially if you consider yourself on the cutting edge of fashion, you want to be more of an early adopter and a trendsetter as opposed to someone who's just following the trends and wants to wear what everyone else is wearing. So I went to those people who like to introduce new things to the marketplace. And I felt like we're more of a fashion watch than anything because we want to complement your wardrobe. And so that's why we dove here first into that fashion community and really uh, latched on to the people who are like, okay, let me find the newest, hottest sneaker. Let me find the newest, hottest sweatshirt. Let me find the newest, hottest accessories. And we were able to see some uh, growth because of we, we chose to switch that at fundamental difference in the way that we go after customers. Speaking of, I guess, 
other things that you've tried, campaigns you've done, or expansion into different categories, what were some of those scalable successes that you can share? What are some things that you experimented that really did take off? One of the the first things we did was, I told you we used to use NATO bands. So one of the first things we did is we started offering uh, metal bands, stainless steel bands for our watches. That was really important because it allowed us to uh, offer things at a different price point. And so um, 30 to $40 in price difference really means a lot when you're a small company. And so we were able to offer more higher, higher price, higher ticket items. Another thing that we did was, and this was probably the most significant thing to date, is we listened to the feedback from everybody that was purchasing watches from us. And in digging to our Google Analytics, we found that 50% of the people purchasing our watches were women purchasing for men. And at this time, we only sold men's watches. And I was really strict on that at that time. And I only wanted to stay in one category because I thought it would just be too confusing to offer women's watches. (laughs) As a man, I felt like I didn't understand it. But they practically begged me to make women's watches and I think in 2017, we started making our first women's line of watches, and now it represents 50% of our business. And that was probably the most significant change that we made. It allowed us to grow a lot faster and gave us a really diverse uh, community of customers as well. I think prior to launching our women's watches, we were probably doing maybe around a quarter of a million uh, dollars in business per year at that point, and business doubled that following year from just offering uh, women's watches amongst other factors, but that was a significant point of growth for us as well. And it's so interesting to see how leveraging accessible tools from Google gave you that insight to say, hey, I can actually offer similar products, but to a different demographic, and that actually doubled your business. Data is everything. I think utilizing that data to make smart decisions is a huge advantage that we have as small businesses that wasn't available to us. You know, even if you run an ad campaign online now through either Facebook or Google, you can track and see how well that campaign is performed as opposed to having a billboard, placing a magazine ad, or get even a TV commercial. You don't really have the feedback from the customers and it definitely isn't as as immediate as it is with the some of the online tools that we have now. So it's a great time to be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. What are some other tools, apps, or services that have helped you grow your business? I think one that we use a lot because we probably use it today that's top of mind is Zipify Pages. We use that to create landing pages uh, for like our announcements and to update our blog and any like press and news. And then also uh, another app that had a huge... um, effect on our business was the Google shopping app, being able to index our products. So they're searchable on Google and that coincides with our Google ad campaigns has been huge because now people can find us and we're right up there with all the other watch brands as you search for different styles. So uh, those two come to mind right now. Talk to us about some of the lessons and maybe some of the shortfalls or failures that you faced that really taught you a lot in this journey. What I learned on this journey is that there's always going to be challenges and that I think for many people, they expect to get into business and not 
struggle at any point or not see any challenges. And what I learned from our challenges is that when we do overcome them, we grow not only as a company, but also individually. You become a better business owner, a better entrepreneur. One of the biggest challenges recently is just hiring and finding the right people. You know, we've been blessed to have great people who've been with us. We still have employee number one that works with us and a lot of people who've been with us for multiple years. But in order to grow, you need the right people. And it can be very daunting trying to find those people, especially as a small business who is competing with these big corporations for a top talent. Um, you really have to find people who agree with your mission and who, again, are going to be able to see the vision of the company and hire for where we are going, not for where we are right now. And so being able to add people to the team has been like one of the most impactful things, but it's also been one of the most challenging parts is just finding that that right fit, because that was a new skill that I hadn't had to learn for the first few years. It was just me and maybe people I knew. Um, so to have to start going out of network to find new people, um, that was one of the challenges that, that comes to mind right now. A lot of the times hiring, expanding the team also means you need to shift your mindset, let go of responsibilities and trust others. So how has that journey for you personally? Yeah, that's been um, different for me, especially over the past year or two is because <laughs> we started hiring people to fill these key positions. And I was doing so much duty, double duty or whatever during that time that I hadn't, I wasn't even aware that I probably wasn't supposed to be doing that stuff. So stuff like even running my Facebook ads to engaging on social media. Once we started hiring people for those positions, I realized that, man, I don't know what I should be doing right now. I remember talking to my, uh, uh, one of the partners in our business, uh, the other owner, Eric, and saying, you know, I feel kind of out of source this week. I got my calendar is clearer than it's ever been. And I don't know what to do now as a, as a result of that. And so it's been great having people, but I'm shifting my focus as it has allowed me to do is to be more of a CEO and more of a visionary for the company and focus on, uh, again, making sure that the new people feel welcome into the Italian Twine family, that I'm sharing those values uh, even though the team is remote, I got to make bigger effort. A large percentage of the team is remote. have to make a larger effort to share that vision for the company, where we're going, company updates and make people feel welcome as well. So uh, my behavior has definitely shifted, but I think I've grown as an entrepreneur. And um, honestly, I'm less stressed now that I have people helping with all of those other tasks. <laughs> <laughs> Great to hear. Great to hear. Um, and then. Looking back a little bit, because I know that this started with a phone call during your lunch break when you still had a nine to five. Talk about that journey of leaving nine to fives, taking risks and actually building something of your own. Yeah, it's been um, it's been an amazing journey. I did have enough foresight to be able to appreciate it along the way. Maybe not as much as I should, but I realized as soon as I was fired from my job, um, I didn't share this part of the story with you, but a couple of years later, I was actually fired from my job. My wife was five months pregnant at that time. That's how I really became a full-time entrepreneur. 
Um, luckily, we had enough money saved. And so I sat down with my wife and we talked about it. I said, look, here's our here's my plan for getting us through the next 90 days. After that, we'll reevaluate if things are not going well. Um, I will look for a job. But I would like to see what Tally and Twine looks like when I fully devote myself to it and when I fully give it my all each and every day. And luckily, I, w- I did not have to go back to find a job. <laughs> and that being said, I learned that I was doing every day you wake up and you're doing what it is that you want to do. You are winning. That is success. Success is not tied to a specific number or specific accolades. It's you fulfilling your purpose and doing something that you're of your choosing that day. And that's success. So I learned to appreciate the journey because of that. It's not about how big the company gets. It's more about, you know, am I enjoying what I'm doing every day? And the answer to that is yes. So uh, it's been a great journey for us. Was that moment scary? Because it is a contentious time. Your wife was pregnant and also any form of like leaving something behind that's so familiar is scary. So how did you, I guess, have the right mindset to say, you know what, I'm, I'm brave enough and I'm like okay enough to carry this forward and just pursue this full time and give myself the time to actually chase this idea. Well, as a married man, the good thing is I had previously had this conversation with my wife ever since we were dating is that, you know, my real passion is entrepreneurship. I really want to own my own business. I'm never going to be uh, sitting at a one job for very, very long. So I wanted to make sure she was on board with me and taking that risk. So we kind of, it wasn't a totally new conversation, but my biggest fear was not me trying it full time. My biggest fear was how would she accept it with her being five months pregnant <laughs> and me basically saying, I don't have the income I, I once had. Uh, but after having the conversation, even with the baby hormones, she reacted extremely well. She was very calm about the situation. I think she saw how passionate I was about it and she knew uh, that it would really make me happy. Um, and so she made that sacrifice for me to be able to chase my dream. And so I'm forever grateful for that. And I'm more afraid of not trying than I am of trying and failing. I'll always be able to find another job. But when you have an opportunity and you have a business that generates traction, you owe it to yourself. You owe it to the business and to those customers to give it a shot. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad you're here in this chapter of the journey. Looking forward, what are some exciting projects that you can share and what else are you doing to scale Tally and Twine to the next level? Yeah, uh, great question. The This year, our theme is collaboration. So we're partnering with some really cool brands and creating unique timepieces built around those collaborations. And so I'm very excited about that. Uh, it's going to allow us to keep our product line fresh and it's going to also expose us to different um, customer bases that we might not, not normally be interacting with. So we're really excited about those partnerships. We got some licensing deals as well. And then we're also doing our first Swiss made automatic watch. And so last year, uh, my co-owner and I, we went to Switzerland and put everything in motion for getting the watch made. We met with our watchmaker, uh, toured the factory, and really dialed in on some of the details of the watch. And so we're hoping to launch that uh, by the 
uh, last quarter of this year. And I think that will be our first entry into truly the luxury market. So we're really excited about that and where that can take the company. And then as far as scale, we are in a few conversations right now. We are raising money um, to grow, um, to kind of capitalize on you know, momentum that we have. And we're looking for the right strategic partner that can kind of assist us with going there. You know, I think the partner for us is not going to be someone who just brings money. It's going to be somebody who brings some sort of expertise that can tie into where we are. Um, but I'm very happy with the pace uh, that the company is is going. But, you know, as you grow, you experience these new growing pains as well. So um, there's challenges <laughs> no matter if you're growing slow or growing uh, rapidly like us. Mm-hmm. That's very exciting. Entering that luxury level and also uh, working with those Swiss watchmakers is an exciting chapter. You mentioned about fundraising. I wanted to ask about the financial side of the journey, because a lot of the times that's one more ball in the air that you have to manage. So talk about how financially you guys have uh, managed this journey. We well, lucky to say that we're still 100 percent independent, so we haven't taken any outside money in our seven years in business. And the way we've been able to manage that growth is um, just being creative in the way that we do things. So right now when we do new products, we do two things. We bring them to our existing, we have a big enough uh, customer pool now to bring it to them and ask for their feedback on it. Number one, so we don't waste money buying things. Uh, that won't sell. And then number two, we're able to set up pre-orders for our items in the same format that we did when we were on Kickstarter. And so that allows us to get the funding for our new orders because our biggest expense every single year is inventory. And the challenge around inventory is that you have to order it before you sell it. (laughs) And so when you're trying, sometimes you could get, you could order too much inventory or you can do like we've done in previous years as well is order not enough inventory and then you sell out. Now you risk hurting the brand when you sell out of inventory. And so uh, financially, that's been one of the biggest challenges for us is like ordering, finding that sweet spot of ordering the right amount of inventory, selling through it in time enough to go and purchase more inventory. So that's always been a balancing act for us. Best of luck with fundraising and also building out that new line. Thank you so much for joining us today, Randy. Thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Shopify Masters. I'm Shwang. And if you enjoy Randy's journey of building Tally and Twine, leave us a review on your listening platform so the show can be discovered by others. Until next time on Shopify Masters. Shopify Masters.